Hello everybody, my name is Martin Gregg and from Backpage you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter at the Euros. Graham Hunter is on the line from London where he is covering the semi-finals of this tournament, the first of which is tomorrow, July the 6th, Italy v Spain and that's the game we're going to be focusing on today. Graham, as you know, I like to vicariously live my life through you on such occasions and I just wondered what you're up to today. How does your day look? I know Spain are arriving, I think, later today, is that right? And then there's a bit of media access later on it's it's not it's not the it's not the big story and you know it actually that's just honestly there'll be retribution for that the big story is i look around me and i look at the absolute tip that my room is for the for the third time in three different countries across this europe and there's bodies everywhere there's shoes there's shirts there's towels there's documents there's all kinds of wires and that's the big story. If you want to know how my life is, uh, 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 you want the truth. <laughs> the big end if you can't handle the truth. My world is, is, is interesting because I've got a heap of uh, writing to do. I've got an interview to do. But it's like just nobody, nobody should even think we're looking for any kind of sympathy or anything. But it's a complex um, job now, making sure that you've ticked all the the rule boxes to be available to go to Wembley. It's 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 not easy and, and there are certain systems and people who make it still more difficult. And that's something that's going to affect uh, the Danes later in the week because it looks like they ain't getting any travelling fans. Hopefully there's tens of thousands of Danes living in England still despite the half-wit Brexit deal that, um, that can come to Wembley and at least even out the atmosphere. But... That that's part of today, Martin. Making sure that um, that, that I've done all, I've fulfilled all the bureaucracy. Uh, after which, um, because I have to be in this country to be ready to go to Wembley because of all the bureaucratic rules. Back in um, back in Las Rosas, just outside Madrid, Luis Enrique and Pedri are being interviewed as part of the build up to the game. So I'll be looking at what they have to say about things and marveling again about the fact that you know Pedri isn't simply somebody that's trusted consistently to play throughout this tournament he's only missed about you know five minutes of it because he came off just before the end interesting Luis Enrique thought I tell you what I tell you what responsibility I'm not going to put on this kid and that's a penalty in the shootout and he, and he brought on Rodri who <laughs> promptly fluffed so he probably changes his mind if there's a penalty in the in the future and says Pedro listen son you could do everything else now go and do that so um the fact that Pedri's put up today doesn't guarantee that he's playing, but it does look as if he starts again. And we'll we'll come on in the second part of this to talk a little bit more about the game. But that's the shape of the day. Work, work, work and more work. But all of the things that you and I and Neil uh, love doing, and they can be harassing, they can feel like they're, they're coming at you like a rainstorm. Uh, but boy, it's worth it. Boy, it's fun. Great stuff. So I think for the first half of the show, we want to kind of hit the rewind button a little bit because it was a subject that you and Neil touched on yesterday when you referenced Spain-Italy clashes from the past. And, well, this was actually a subject you wrote about in your Spain book. And I have to say, until that point, it was a narrative that I was completely unaware of. The fact that up until, you know, Euro 2008, Italy were, were very much Spain's bet noir. And then their meeting in the quarterfinals of Euro 2008 became this kind of huge moment in Spanish football history. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's overstating it, is it? No, it's cathartic. Because not, not all of the, the, the Spain people involved in 2008 had lived through all of the Bet Noir era because it stretched back to the 20s in the Olympic Games, which was the 
prior to 2008 was the last time that Spain had beaten Italy competitively. But what happened in 2008 was Spain qualified so handsomely and they'd beaten Greece in the last game and they were watching the game and I forget who Italy were playing. But Italy were, were out, they were, they were dead and buried. And typical Italy, who, who probably are the only side that resemble the eternal German idea, but we literally are not finished until the stadium lights are turned out. Italy got back into the game, got through, and not just qualified, they, they became Spain's next rivals in what was then the quarterfinals. And Luis Aragonés, the late Luis Aragonés, who's dead some you know a handful of years now, had had lived through a huge amount of that, that bet noir status, where time and again, even if Spain could match Italy in the occasional friendly, they couldn't beat them in competitive matches. They they consistently thrashed them. And it so happened that the, the game was scheduled to be played on June 22nd, which is when Spain had lost um, on June 22nd, I think, to Italy in USA 94. They'd lost to England in Euro 96. They'd lost to... South Korea in that mad Oriental World, World Cup where the referee was subsequently proved to have taken a couple of um, fibres in his back pocket to bend the game. So June 22nd, allied to Italy, what was interesting at the time was Luis Aragonés, this gruff, you know, who dares wins, don't mess with me, life is mine to chew up and spit out, Baloo the bear guy, his legs turn to jelly deals. He was he was petrified, if you remember, of what was the colour? Yellow. He he, he 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 literally if somebody was wearing yellow, he couldn't be in the same room as them. You couldn't mention the colour. And he was deeply, deeply affected by that superstition. And he's a man who remember needed counselling for anxiety when he was Barcelona manager just before winning the uh, Copa del Rey, I think, thanks to Gary Lineker. But for him to to start to quake and growl and, and say, oh no, it's Italy, that alerted all of us who were as, who were in the position that you state now of not having lived through, I hadn't lived through, I knew Italy, you know, had the sort of the Indian sign over Spain, but that Spain were petrified of them. And, and what became interesting was in an interview for the book, that marvellous Brazilian-born midfielder, Marcos Senna, who was playing for Villarreal, who chosen the number 17, who was told at Villarreal, that's an unlucky number, don't wear it, bollocks to you, I'm going to wear it. Did knee ligaments three times, and they kept saying to him, it's the number 17, and he said, no, it isn't. Came back, played with 17 on his back, played well in that nil-nil game against Italy, which went to penalties. And he said to us afterwards in the interview we did for the book, that all around him, at nil-nil, with extra time approaching, the Spain players started to quake. Not about going out, not about extra time, but, oh, it really is Italy. It, we, we really can't beat them. And he used to, he started, in the game, he said he started bollocking them. Particularly Iker. Get your head straight, play up, get rid of this idea. Went round them, giving them a ferocious ticking off. And in the end, it's it's miraculous because the penalty shoot, when I said cathartic and you talked about bit noir, number one, the penalty shootout is extraordinary. I think Spain scored the first one, but it comes to Danny Guitha, who most people will have forgotten, but he was Pichichi that season and he misses. And and completely out of the blue, and he doesn't know where this comes from, Ika Casillas, who's standing beside the goal because it's a shootout, and um, big old... Um, 
Gigi Buffon looks as if he fills the goal. Grisa misses. He could just he yells out, out of the blue. Don't worry, Danny, I'll save the next one. He doesn't know why he said it. He's got no guarantee. He's got, he doesn't even know who's taking it. And he does. He goes and saves the next one, Martin. And it gets to a point whereby Fabregas... Fabregas is taking it because there's been nerves about who's going to take the penalty. There's been changes of order. Fabregas demands to go fifth because he's had a dream that he's going to score the fifth penalty. And guess what? <laughs> Luis Aragonés goes... Yeah, all right, son. Okay, mate, listen. If, I mean, fair play. He couldn't spend his life um, saying that there was no such colour as yellow and, and not putting mustard in his burgers. And and Guys Comendieta was coached by Lucia Aragonés at Valencia and he went to see, they went for a town reception after winning a trophy and the lady mayor was wearing a yellow suit and Aragonés wouldn't go in the room. So he could hardly say to Cesc, no, I'm not believing in your dreams. So he does, he puts him fifth and Cesc runs up and as he's running up, the ball changes his mind what he's doing with it and tucks it away. And Spain go through. And, and from that day to this, those most of those players are now, you know, fully retired. There are, I think there are, is there, are there one or two still playing? My Lord. Yeah, Iniesta, of course he is. Iniesta's still playing in Japan. I think if I think hard, there might be one more. But they've talked throughout the remainder of their playing career about, it, it was just like, a supercharge. Many of them said we wouldn't have won the World Cup. We wouldn't have coped with the World Cup stress without having shown ourselves we could beat Italy. That's how much it meant to them. Now, since then, Martin, it hasn't been the same. Italy have beaten Spain in, in, in really brutal circumstances where Spain were flying in the Euro in France. They win their first two games, beating the Czech Republic, beating Turkey, pumping Turkey. They look comfortable against Croatia. They concede an equaliser and they concede a last-minute uh, winner for Croatia to Perisic. And that means that instead of a better route against a, 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 a slothful, doleful Portugal who went on to win the tournament, would have been beaten by Spain, I tell you that now. Suddenly they've got to play Italy. Spain don't perform in Paris. They literally look too slow, not streetwise enough. Morata is gobbled up. De Gea doesn't have a good game, Italy win. But now it's like, that's just another team beating us. And Spain go out in the World Cup qualifiers and draw in Italy and then pump them in Madrid, pump them 3-0 with several of the players who play on Tuesday for Italy in that Azzurri team. So I think there are no ghosts. I, I, I think the media will probably do their best to dig up ghosts and because... In many ways, the football media are, are contrary, not to say downright stupid. You know, they'll throw all these things into the mix because they think it makes the soup more spicy. And, and some of the players will read it and some of the players will carry that onto the pitch, which for me is just absolutely ludicrous. And I guess that they'll pick on the fact that, you know, for the last 20 minutes of the Italy-Belgian game, I think there were nine minutes played, nine, nine minutes of football because of all the rolling around and the arguing with the ref and the substitutions and whatever. Because as beautiful as Mancini's side has been up to now and in the 20 however many games they were unbeaten coming into this tournament, they were pretty streetwise in that last 20 minutes against Belgium. Let's not make any mistakes. And, and you listened to... Who did you listen to, uh, Martin? Uh, Luca Vialli... Sonjuran Eriksson, Michael Richards, all saying, you know, if you want to judge by the clothes horse and the hairstyle, 
more fool you. Mancini's only about winning. Only, only about winning. That's the message they all told us. Ultra detailed, ultra driven. And Spain are facing a side who, yeah, might run past them, might outplay them. But Spain are definitely facing a side that is more streetwise than they are. Yeah, just going back to the, the Spain book for a moment, Fernando Torres is a fantastic character in the book and I've got this this quote from him here referencing the, the quarterfinal game. He says, you walk out thinking that you will change history. You win in penalties and that is the moment. All the anxiety, all the fear just melts away and it's as if you've won the whole tournament. When we beat Italy, we were all totally sure we'd be champions, which is just an incredible quote. And this is something that I kind of want to put to you there. You used that word supercharged, which which was really interesting. You know, I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that these these Italian ghosts have been laid to, to rest to, to some extent in terms of this fixture. But should Spain win tomorrow night, you know, what is the significance of that victory? Do they do they get that supercharge from it? Do you think that, that will that will propel them into into the final at the weekend? I think so, yeah. I mean I have to face the fact that normally when I'd say I believe this will happen, I like to have reasons i like to have some juice i want to be able to say i think because of x and y and z i could be wrong but my argument is built on a decent foundation and right now you know i can't deny a feeling that spain are going to win this but i don't have the the foundations for it but that would be one i agree that if they because now it's different. It wouldn't be the supercharger beating a bet noir. It would be beating a team which actually quite resembles them. They're not that far apart in concept. I think Italy are a little further on. Um, until Spinazzola got his terrible Achilles um, tendon injury, which is so upsetting because it means six or seven months out. And, and, and then, you know, a delicate... Re- reappearance too because that's one of the injuries you do not want they were carrying momentum and good fortune I think now without having been forensic about it something like 9 or 10 players have scored or contributed to a goal that's that's ultra persuasive but also the, the Italy play a game where they want to dispute possession of the ball have possession of the ball and use it going forward it's a front foot team that's why people have fallen in love with them a little bit. It's why they've been so hard to, to deny um, during the qualification process. And don't forget that they're, they're Spain's rival in the autumn in the, in the Nations League semi-final. So there's, there's huge amounts on this game because whoever wins carries that momentum into the autumn. And, and it's a trophy. It's a t- you know, the Nations League is now a two-game trophy, which doesn't do anybody any harm. You, we can say... And, and I do say, I think you agree, there's too much football. We ask too much of our players. But when there's a trophy there to be won, you win it. So there's an, an awful lot in this game. And should they go through, one, yes, dispatching with Italy would give them a supercharge. But two, I think that my conviction, as good as England are, uh, I think they beat Denmark, my conviction that Spain can win this Euro wouldn't simply be about whether well, dispatched with Italy. I think that this Spain side needs the relief of look here we are in the final now all the pressure's off us this is not about like you know the the focus of the world is on us and we're favorites they'd be second favorites and they'd have they'd have punched well above their weight and i think they would go into the final unblocked and ready to score the percentage of goals that they haven't been converting so far so 
I'd be, yeah, I'd be massively encouraged to to believe that the people I speak to in that camp, the ones that I know best, were they to defeat Italy, yes, it would give them wings. I do agree with you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, let's get on to some social questions. We've got a cracker from Will McLeod. This is a contender for my favourite social question ever, Graham. Will says, I'm getting married on Tuesday, which means I probably won't be able to catch the game this time. I know I'm going to miss a Corker as the tournament has been wonderful so far but Graham's pods have been so good uh, so I'm not sure I'll mind too much now I just want to interject there right because I love Will's use of the word probably there I'll just read you out the first sentence again I'm getting married on Tuesday which means I probably won't be able to catch the game this time so this is not a done deal you know <laughs> does anybody here have good reason why and no, no, I'm probably fine with this, but I might need 25 minutes. It's just approaching full time. Uh, he's 25 minutes to think about this. But Will! Right, OK, so Will continues and he says, I've been reading and listening to a lot of the coverage of this tournament and a lot of it seems to be lukewarm in Spain. The recurring criticisms of the problems at the back and up front and the lack of an identity. What have been the defining characteristics of this team during the tournament? And do they have a playing style and character to beat Italy? Mr McLeod, first of all, congratulations. Sorry for Martin's irreverence about the day of your life. I'm, I'm quite sure that your intended isn't listening and you won't share any of this. I, listen, I'd warn you not to. Otherwise you're in trouble from the start. Well, I don't know where you are, so I don't know what coverage you've been taking in. But I, I do agree with you that... One of the things, Will, that served me well during my career is that I've been taught by football people I respect that it's the easiest thing you do in any analysis, whether it's the, the press analysis of a match or whether it's scouting a player, which is where the subject came up for me. That the simplest thing to do is to be negative, to pick on the things that somebody doesn't do. And one of the ways in which people um, consistently thrive in football, be it analysis of an opponent, whether it be buying a footballer, whether it be picking an, an 11, picking an 11, is, is don't ignore the things that are deficient, try to solve them. 
Focus on the things that are right. Focus on the things that a player or a group can do. And that's the way I would guide people on, on Spain because I, I used I used a phrase in, in, earlier in the podcast and you can all tell me if I used too, too much Spanish, but I think sharing the culture is one of the missions that I should accept if I live abroad. And that, I'm going to use the word again, resultadista. The resultadistas are those who blow with the wind and a player or a team or a manager are great if they're winning and crap if they're not. Well, all of us who who, who played or, or tried to understand or analyse or, or spend a living talking about writing about football, we need to, to be much, much, much better than that. And we'll... The guiding one of the guiding characteristics that I think answers your question properly is that irrespective of whether they've scored or not, Sweden, Poland, they should have. They, I mean, in literal terms, if you just think about expected goals, which is a concept I find difficult to understand, but if you if you say what would be if you if you run a showreel of all the chances created by Spain against Sweden and Poland, even on a bad day, how many should they have converted? They should have probably scored four times minimum total against those two sides and on a good day six or seven now when you don't do that that corrodes and weak-minded players weak-minded coaches feel the sphincters tightening and they they change they they draw within themselves they think about committing fewer creative risks because if we're not scoring then maybe we'll be scored against some managers abandon their philosophy in spain haven't that is my. That is something that you know. Win, lose, or draw against Italy. That's something that I'll take home about the Spain side. They understood exactly how much they want the ball, what to do with it, how how much they want to attack. Entertainment is a byproduct, but they've been entertaining. For those who simply live on the on the YouTube culture of football, where you like watching, you know, eleven minutes of highlights rather than a ninety minutes match, and there has to be goals. Like we used to slag off the old NASL when they, they couldn't have a game without goals so they had to have a, you know those shootouts where you ran up from the halfway line and you know a game without goals or a game with few goals doesn't necessarily mean it's a poor game or it doesn't necessarily deny you entertainment Spain have been entertaining and they've stuck to their philosophy they, they have never wavered not once and that led to the 10 goals in two games which you know also brought us wit and explosive football and goals that, that help light up the tournament whether anybody listening to this thinks that Spain have been their their favourite tournament or most the team of the tournament, most exciting tournament, they have to rank them in in that group that has made this tournament fun and interesting. Another guiding principle that that well that comes out of this is it's all very well for those who are converted now to say Pedri, wow, and and I don't claim any special laurels for having said that since you know literally the second or third game I saw him that doesn't negate that you need to have flipping huge cojones to say this 18 year old is in my squad and he's going to play every game every minute except for maybe five and he's back in for the semi-final which I think he will be let's wait and see but that's like that is it's it's too simple to look back and praise Pedri now what about the manager that takes enormous clarity of vision and enormous conviction, as far as I'm concerned. And maybe the final thing, Will, that again is intangible, and, and maybe you only see little bits. You see little bits when 
Pedri's back pass gets sclaffed and let in by Unai Simon. And at halftime, David De Gea goes looking for him. David De Gea must be pissed off. He must be thinking, this 24-year-old who had a shaky end to the season for Athletic has kept me out. The goalkeeper's union is a, is a term that sometimes exists, but it doesn't always exist. And De Gea went looking for him. Support. Proper words. Unai says that it was the best thing he could have heard at that time. At the end, when everybody else jumps on one another in a big cluster... Tiago goes looking for Unai Simon. Tiago could and should be pissed off that he's not playing. Goes looking for Unai Simon and leaps on him. When Oyathabal scores the winning goal against Switzerland from the penalty spot and, and Unai saved two and helped one go over the bar, because I'm pretty sure he thinks that was him his doing as well. The Lar the Real Sociedad man and the Athletic Bilbao man jump upon one another again and it's hands across like in 2010 and 2012 it was hands across the classical divide this was hands across the basque divide they're chums but they you know they play for two radically different teams in the basque country who don't like each other and oyer thabal had stuck a penalty away in la cartuja past unai simon back in april to win the the 2020 copa del rey so unity that's my they, they often you you ah uh, flip you've made me talk more than Martin would want me to, Will, but there's no point in me not being sincere. Just because this job is a privilege and I get to go to places and, and get access that is not normal, it doesn't mean that it's all fun. And having won, having been with them in a winning era in 2008 and 10 and 12, I got sick of losing. I hate losing. <laughs> And because I'm a mug, because I'm an idiot, I invest my personality. When, when, Just like with the dandies. When Spain are out there playing, if I'm covering them, they're me. But what the hell am I doing investing my, my personality, my soul, and thinking that's me out there in the pitch? And therefore, I mean, that's a stupid thing, but it's true of me. And therefore, when they lose, I feel beaten up. Not like a fan, but because I'm investing my, my, my own personal well-being and how they are doing it's 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 ludicrous but it's true now if i didn't admit it i'd be a liar and therefore not only when they lose but when the relationships within the camp are, are crummy when, when you look at the behavior in 2014 and 2016 i find it depressing it takes me a long time to shake it off and, and i didn't like their behavior in in 2016 in france when they were being guarded by raid the, the french equivalent of the sas and one of the guys i've told this story before his finger shot off at the bataclan and i met those guards because i had to pass security and i saw them every day and of course me being me i chatted to them chatted to them about that you know that that terrible november the year before and they said to me you know i know i asked them they didn't offer this i said how is spain treating you are they because i i'd grown used to the characters and the friendliness and the the nonsense that you got from Puyol or PK or Victor Valdez or, or you know, above all, Joanne Capdevila. And, and I watched Fernando Torres charm the South African fans and spend 40 minutes signing autographs after training. And these, these professionals, these raid professionals who are guarding Spain's lives, were like, no, they, 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 they never stop, they never talk, they don't even say good morning, we're just invisible to them. Things like that matter to me. I don't like being associated with people whose behaviour I'd like to take and give them a slap for. And this is different, Will. So you hear, my point is, you hear squads in club and international football talking about friendship and unity all the time. And I remember Roberto Martinez during the tournament saying that the character of his team was a plus. Human values were a plus. 
Well, this Spain squad have proven over and over again that they believe in the manager, that they believe in each other, that those who aren't getting the game are patient and are supporting the rest of them. And I think it's one of the reasons that they've gone under par. I think par for this Spain group was the quarterfinal. I think, as a golfer would say, they're under par, i.e. overperforming already. And I think that human spirit, which is an identifiable trait of this group, and you don't always see it in the pitch when the ball is rolling, but, well, it's, it's a central part of what's made this tournament enjoyable for me, hopefully enjoyable for you, and it's a true fact about them. And it's, boy, boy, it's not a true fact about all modern squads. Mm. That's really interesting. I, I think we should round off our regular feature of Bet365 Player of the Day, but I think hopefully our second social question from Sean McGovern will kind of take us into the, the, the 365 Player of the Day feature. She says, Hello Graham, I've been really enjoying your podcast throughout the Euros. There's been a lot of excitement surrounding this new look Italian side, whereas I think it's fair to say Spain have been a little inconsistent. Do you think it will come down to individual brilliance on Tuesday night? I love that phrase, individual brilliance, because we get so much in systems and structures and tactics. And you know, But the thing that, that quickens the pulse is seeing somebody do something exceptional. And I've been loving Jeremy Doku you know, flashing by people in the, in the wings for Belgium in this tournament, stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could maybe we could sew these two together. Individual brilliance in our Bet Three Six Five Player of the Day. W- what do you think? Is there any candidates that you think stand out? Well, first of all, hi Shona. Um, thanks for the question. I, I agree with Martin. I love it. If if I'm negative, pessimistic is a better word for it, Shona. One of the things I think is true is that Italy look a little bit more sprightly. And I think that there's a microcosm you can say of that, that Jorginho is Busquets and Busquets is Jorginho. And Jorginho is he's that little bit younger. He's that little bit more athletic. He's playing very, very well. I think he's possibly, excuse me, the bedrock of this team. My Italian friend who's covering the Azzurri tells me he's called Radio Jorginho for all the information that he's constantly chirping away at teammates about position, about information, about space, about when he wants the ball, who's not covered. So Radio Jorginho and Busquets are are peas in a pod, I think, in terms of what they want to do with the ball and what they want to do with the structure of the team and where they want their team playing and the speed with which the ball moves. Um, I I worry, Shona, that, that Spain can't replicate what they did so well in 2010 and 2012, which was like, you're not getting the ball. And I think the Spain group resembles the way in which 2008 came together. 2008 was a much more combative, much more uneven structure. And they were just, they were out for a lark, I I think. And I think that there's an element of that in this group, but they're not quite as good as 2008's group. In fact, they, they aren't as good. That's a better way to say it. So... I wonder if, <clears throat> as the match goes on, maybe uh, not, not all the way, because I think latterly Italy didn't like the Belgian game. And I saw hints, not just because Spinazzola was off, I saw hints that Italy were like, OK, you know, we've we've enjoyed this, but we haven't got a lot left in our tank. So let's see how things go late in the game. But during the first three quarters of the game, I have a worry that Spain might find Italy a little bit more athletic than 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 they care for. My perception that Spain can win is that I, I, I still hope against hope that they start to score more of the chances that they've been creating. I think they can. I think in Torres, Moreno 
And even Morata, they've got players who who can get a higher percentage of the ball into the net once the chances are created. I think that this unblocking thing that Luis Enrique mentioned before the Slovakia game needs to start again, and it can do. And what would I finish on? Shona, I, I will say that if, if you're talking about individual moments, the guy I like, again, he's not got under the radar, but Nicolo Barella has for some time stood out to me as quite a special player. I loved him when I watched him play. He's, he's, he's played a couple of times for Inter against Football Club Barcelona, I think maybe two seasons ago, maybe when Valverde was still in charge, I reckon. He just he just stands out for me. I think he's velvet good. And that battle with Pedri, because if Barella's playing in right midfield broadly, which I think he will be, and driving forward, and Pedri's playing in left midfield, which I think and hope he will be, that's another really big test for this kid that I adore watching. So individual brilliance, maybe Barella. Um, Insigne seems to be going from an interesting player to a player who's in form and feels really confident. So I, I think it's about they're going to dispute possession. Both teams are going to look a little bit similar in that they want to get at one another. It doesn't mean it's going to be a goal fest, but I think it's going to be an entertainment fest. And there are echoes. It's Wembley's slightly different, but it's it's Luca Vialli and Mancini of Sampdoria back at Wembley where they lost their maybe their most bitter match of their entire European or club careers um, to Barcelona at Wembley. This will be an iconic match for them. And for the two of them, those buddies to, to get to the final to play England would just... It, England where Viali won cups and it remains a popular figure and where his home is. Mancini where he won that league with City to, to be playing, in their minds, England at Wembley. You know, even I, if Spain are eliminated, will be able to say, OK, <laughs> that's quite romantic. So, Shona, to match your question with the Bet365 player of the day... I'm not yet convinced that Luis Enrique is going to change the midfield, but the midfield looked much slower, much less intense against Switzerland than in previous matches. And while Koke has been an absolutely essential bodyguard for Busquets, there's a place for Llorente, and it's not at right back. And whether Llorente starts or has to come on, Llorente playing on the right with Spinazzola missing on the left might be a place, might give Spain some purchase. I don't quite know why Lucien Enrique hasn't used him a little bit more. Um, he has legs, he has, and he knows how to use them. He he can gallop into space, into the box, past players, track, harass, press, and it's not the most poetic suggestion of of the team. It, you know, I could be picking Olmo who'll start for Sarabia. I'm sure I, I could be picking Laporte, maybe. Having his needing to have his best aerial performance of the tournament where he hasn't looked great yet because in set plays, Chiellini and Bonucci are going to have advantages. That's just a fact. So I'm going for Marcos Llorente um, to, to surprise us all, to have that extra pace, to, to bring Spain galloping into the box and to make or score the winning goal to put La Roja in the final. So, Chona, so bet 365. Marcos Llorente, against the odds, is my man of the day okay folks that's another show in the bag Shona thank you very much for that excellent question Will all the best for your big day we hope you manage to squeeze some of the game in between the the speeches (laughs) (laughs) I hope you all enjoyed this show today we'll be back with another tomorrow Tuesday ahead of the kickoff bye for now 